Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. Today, I'm super excited. I got this guy that I've been dying to talk to. He finally agreed, which I think was smart on his part, because I was, I, was, I was gonna hunt you down, track you down. By the way, I had you straight up in my cadences. You were gonna be, you were gonna come on this show one way or another. If I had to fly to Boston, John Barrels, it was gonna happen. Welcome to the Sales Influence Podcast, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been a fan, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Mutual admiration. One of the things I like about John Barrels, in fact, let people know who you are, John. Give us your, your 60 second commercial. Yeah, uh, I'm a sales guy who happens to train. So my whole life, I grew up in uh, Boston, uh, got a degree in marketing because I didn't know what I wanted to be, fell into sales just like everybody else. DeWalt was my first job selling power tools. Xerox was where I got my sales education. Then I started a company doing IT services, uh, ran that, sold it off to Staples, uh, fastest growing company in Massachusetts for a few years in a row. Joined a training organization because I liked the content that I had, I had taken the training and I thought it was legit. And then uh, long story short, they screwed it all up and I took it over. So 10 years, I've been on my own now and uh, training companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box, Dropbox, Google, Slack, all those you know, fast growing tech companies and teaching their sales reps techniques and all the way through prospecting, all the way through negotiations and close. It's an impressive resume. When I looked at the companies you've worked with, I'm like, he knows. But what I loved about you, and, and I told you this before you got re started recording that, one of the things I liked about you, like about you is that you're, you're very straightforward down the middle. And so I'm going to start out with, I think uh, it's a tough question, but I feel, I'm sure you can handle it. Uh, you know, what's wrong with selling today, man? What is wrong with selling today? I know you're saying, Victor, where do I begin? Pick yeah, a, I was going to say, man. <clears throat> um, uh, the silver, I, I, let's, let, let's start with the silver bullet question. You know what okay. I mean? Everybody's looking for it. Um, I think we've gone a little crazy as far as, uh, you know, not really thinking about the buyer anymore. We're just thinking about our numbers. How many, how many dials I have to make this week? How many cadences do I have to send out? Uh, and not really giving a shit about who the other person is on the other end of that phone, um, especially around prospecting, right? Um, mm. I think, you know, everybody's looking for that tool, that, that thing that's going to help them all of a sudden get their huge pipeline or close that deal. And it's just not that easy. Um, and it's frustrating for me because the give a shit factor is limited. You know what I mean? Like, I, let's put it this way. I was doing a training and, uh, you know, there was a, <clears throat> about 200 people in, in, in this conference that I was doing. And this kid, you know, raised his hand. He said, John, you know, you train all these tech companies on the same stuff. A lot of our competitors, man. So how can we differentiate? If you're going to train all of us on the same stuff, how can I differentiate? And I said, 10, 60, 30. <laughs> He said, what? I said, 10, 60, 30. I go, 10% of you in this room are going to take what I tell you to do and you're going to execute with it and take your careers to a whole different level. 60% of you are going to do something different because it's easy and it makes sense. And 30% of you ain't going to do shit different. And so the question isn't how many people can I train? The question is, is what percentage do you want to be in? And, and the, it's frustrating because you can tell. Like when, you do, when I do training, I could tell that there's about 10% of the room that get it, that are engaged, that are asking questions, that are really like want to evolve, want to get better. And then everybody else is kind of going through the motions. And I've been talking about death of the average sales rep for a while now. And mm -hmm. this was before COVID. I've been watching technology take over a lot of what sales reps are doing, all the automated shit, right? And now COVID comes and punches us all square in the mouth. And you know, I'm sorry to say, look, I'm sure there's plenty of reps out there that through no fault of their own, they had to get, they, mm -hmm. they got let go, right? Because the business went out of business or they just couldn't afford it, whatever. But the vast majority of sales reps right now that are looking for a job are those average reps that were going through the motions. Because look, I'm sorry, when they go through layoffs, they don't start at the top. You know what I mean? They start at yeah. the bottom and they move their way up. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest problem is, you know, I mean, I don't know if you see it, like 
people are still talking about like, hey, John, I need to make a transition to solution selling. Like my reps like, you know, show up and throw up too much. I'm like, I was hearing that 20 years ago and people are still showing up thinking that people give a shit about us. Like, come on. Mm. Like, that's that's where I think, like, it's still us-centric. It's still, look at how good we are. Look at how good my product is. And it's mm. not customer-centric in any way, shape, or form. And I think we need to really... Th- I'm hoping that this corona, like, uh, this mess that we're in right now is kind of a recentering on what is important, which is quality over quantity all day long and actually giving a shit about the people that we're engaged with. Every time I talk to you, like, you know, when I do the training, you know, people always ask me, again, the silver bullet, right? How do mm-hmm. I do it, Victor? And I'm like... Dude, and I, and I joke, say puke with them. Don't puke on them, puke with them. Yeah. Which means, man, you go in there and you feel their pain. You know what I mean? And you just straight like, I, I, I know what you're going through. And then I can talk to you. I don't even have to be stylistic about it. Does that make oh. sense? Yeah, totally. Well, well, you know, it's empathy, right? Like people talk yeah. about empathy. It cracks me up, right? When like back in March, when everything hit hard, you all heard, lead with empathy, lead with empathy, lead with empathy, right? And then all of a sudden, every single email in your inbox started with, hi, I hope you and your family are doing well, you know? But then it would cut over some piece of crap value proposition that had, and people thought that was empathy. And I'm like, that's not empathy. Not, that's sympathy, by the way. That, not and even. That, that's because most of them were in some templated piece of crap cadence that was just right. going out to 500 other people that had that email address or whatever it is. Empathy is what you said, is putting yourself in that other person's shoes, trying to understand what their day-to-day looks like. And, and, and look, I tell people all the time, I don't, help you, I don't sell anything. I really don't. I help you solve your problems or achieve your goals. Those are the two things that I do. And if your goals aren't big enough and your problems aren't big enough, why are we having this conversation? Right. Why, so why, the, why do you think they don't get it, John? I mean, dude, you and I like that lined up because I'm like... People are always like, you know, how do I sell, Victor? Well, damn it, first feel their pain, understand where they're coming from. Then you mm-hmm. think it's easy to figure out what they're trying to solve. Yeah. Sell to that. Right. What is it, man? What is it that holds people back? You know, there I, I see the market split in two. I'd love to hear your comments on this. Mm-hmm. There's still people who are looking backwards. Look, I'm a fan of solution selling, mm-hmm. consultative selling, Matt Cannon, you know, Neil Rackham, spin selling on. I get it. I Challenger appreciate or whatever, that. Yeah. yeah, I I got it. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. But I, but, I, but I think there's a new breed that's starting to really understand it. But why do you think, you know, what's happening here? Are, are we losing a lot? The average salesperson's going away. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I see the rise. And this is where I really wanted to talk to you about. I see the rise. I, I just want to call it a sales cyborg, right? Just for my words. Yep. The, because they're using technology to figure out mm-hmm. when, where, and how. Layered with empathy. In other words, understanding the problem. But trying to figure out who they're trying to help. <clears throat> add, some, add some flavor to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that Cyborg or, I, you know, I use the Iron Man analogy. Like the, the mm. sales rep of the future is, you know, you got the suit, right? Uh, so you got Tony Stark, right? He's the human, right? And, I, think, and look, I, think, I think I like yours better, actually. Well, uh, yeah, well, because check this out, right? So you got the human. You got, you got these old school sales reps, for instance, that are great at relationship development, understand how to connect mm-hmm. with people and kind of do that, right? But you can't just be that anymore because because now you got these kids who understand how to use the technology and they'll get to the table before you will. And half the battle is getting to the table, right? So so with with Tony, if he went out there by himself, right, as a human, I mean, he's got it all as a human, right? He's rich, he's good looking, he's smart, right? All that stuff. But if he goes out to fight this fight <clears throat> as a human to get all those aliens, he, he gets smoked, right? So what does he have to do? He has to create the suit. Now, the suit's the technology, which is fantastic, but the problem is the suit doesn't work without Jarvis, the AI. 
So mm-hmm. now you got those three and now you can do some damage. And, and sales reps right now need to be that last mile. They need to use the technology and the resources to surface up the information in an efficient way so that when they make that last mile connection to the client, it's humanized, right? But it doesn't have to be reinventing the wheel every single time. There's a lot of technology that can automate insights, uh, you know, client needs, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? And also, you know, recording calls and understanding all that stuff and, you know, you Using AI, all that. So using that, but still being that human element to it. Because until computers start buying from computers, we got a chance, right? We got, we, we got that think, last mile. I like your phrase. We got that last mile if we work it right. That's the way you're supposed to do it, right? Because, and I think the reason that we're here with where we are is because, let's go back to education. It's the least educated profession in, our, in the world. It's the number one profession in the world. But I ask people all the time, hey, you got your sales degree? Like I, I'm starting to see a few hands every once in a while. Like, oh yeah, I got a minor in or whatever. But this is literally the number one profession in the world. But yet none of us are formally taught how to do it. And so what happens is you go to get your degree in whatever, right? Because you think you know what you want to be when you grow up. <clears throat> and then you get out into the real world and you realize either, ooh, I don't want to do this. Or B, I, don't, I can't make enough money doing this. So hey, I'm pretty good with people. Why don't, why, like, I heard you can make some money in sales. Let me try that, right? <clears throat> And so they get into sales. But the problem with that is we get in and our training is either, hey, go follow that guy. He's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Or here's a script. And we stumble and bumble our way through it. But like, I still think the stat out there is like three out of four people that get into sales every single year get out because it's that hard of a profession, right? But right. The, because of that lack of education, think about this. You got some kid. And by the way, today we are taught to the test, right? So all kids are taught to the test, MCAS, all that crap, right? So scripts, right? So you get a kid who's taught to the test. They come out of college. Then they get put in a situation with limited education on this profession. They get given a quota. They get given a territory. And they say, good luck. You take a seemingly good kid who would probably rarely lie, cheat, or steal. You put them in that situation where if they don't succeed, they're probably going to get fired and they definitely won't be able to pay their bills, right? Because it's mostly commission. You take that, a good kid, you put them in that scenario, they start doing some shady shit. You know what I mean? They start cutting right. corners. Right. And so, <clears throat> you know, and then to layer on top of that, I don't know how old you are, but I'm, you know, 44, Gen Xer, right? Right. Like when we grew up in sales, it was, it was a number, it was a numbers game. You know what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. mid 50 dials, like whatever it is, you had your pitch because it worked because the internet really wasn't that prevalent. People didn't have as much information. So it wasn't, so now we are, the the managers we are the executives right and we are coaching this this younger generation and i think our generation is lazy as shit because everybody understands quality is the answer right coaching and quality and all that other stuff's the answer right i mean with account based marketing you see the trends all going towards quality 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 but quality is really hard to coach to Quality is really hard to, to help develop, right? You know what's easy to develop? You know what's easy to coach to? Victor, did you make your 50 dials today? Did you send right. out your 100 cadences? Right? That's a checkbox thing. And if you didn't do it, I'm going to smack you, right? So we're, we're defaulting to the easy ways of, of managing, and we're not really addressing the root issue of this uneducated group of people and putting them in a position to be successful with tools and, and, strat- and all the stuff that is necessary. So it's just this mess that just can, keeps perpetuating itself. So what do you think of the, the, the I guess I could use the word juxtaposition. So, mm-hmm. you know, we got these managers now that kind of played with technology, but not a lot. Yep. They kind of, you know, born and bred on ACT, moved into, you know, whatever, spreadsheet, mm-hmm. ACT, and then find eventually Salesforce, right? right? 
And then now they're trying to manage a whole new breed of salespeople mm-hmm. who are, I mean, I'll say dependent in a good way on technology, using the engagement platforms and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. How do they do that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because the, the, the number one thing, and I'm sure you see it as well as I do, the number one thing any direct line frontline manager should do to improve the results of their team is do coaching. But it's the one that they, the, the last thing that they actually spend time doing. Right, most managers. So most most sales train. I'm um, sorry, sales reps. We get limited education, right? On you know, we hopefully we get a training like yours or mine or whatever it is to get. Oh, that's how you do it, right? But managers get even less. Right. You know what I mean? Usually, it's the best man. It's the best rep who gets promoted to be the manager. And usually, that best rep is a best rep because they were an artist, not a scientist. You know, they just kind of are good at what they do. And now you're putting that person and telling them to go replicate to everybody else, and they have no clue how to do it. Right. I actually don't want the best rep to be my manager. I want like the B plus rep, you know, that consciously competent, right? Usually right. if you if you go through that whole square, right? Mm-hmm. Like the unconsciously competent ones, those are those A reps. Mm-hmm. Let them be reps. Let them go make it rain and get out of their way. You know what I mean? From That's a my manager, philosophy. Let them run. Let them run. run. Because you because you'll frustrate them if you don't. Um, but those consciously competent ones, those are the ones I want as managers. And those are the ones that I think are this, this new breed, if we do it right, that, that we can start to coach in a way that like leverages the tools and technologies that they know, but gives them the coaching and, and, and that type of thing that they need to take that next level in their careers. Yeah, I want, I want to just, like, just add a layer to that because what you just said is simple. People go, yeah, I got that, but I don't think they're really hearing you. When you say consciously competent, Mm-hmm. You're really talking about somebody who's aware of what they know and what they don't know. And because mm-hmm. they're aware of what they know and don't know, they know what to teach. And I, 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 I make a, distinct, a distinction because I know unconsciously competent salespeople. The problem is they, they fall victims to something called Polanyi's paradox. Polanyi's paradox is you know it, but you can't explain it. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want those. <clears throat> You want the consciously competent. I, I, I want people to understand that there's there's depth to what you're saying. That's there's very purposeful yeah. in what you're saying. It's not just a phrase. So I, I love no, and that. It's, and, the, and there's a structure to it. Like I want the kid who can explain to me why they why they missed their number this quarter. Well, John, you know I did this many activity. You know I did I did fifty dials. My conversion ratios from first call to demo were this. My mm-hmm. demos for, to proposal were this. My proposals to close business were here. The gap that I really missed this part was the the demo piece. You know I not enough demos were converting to proposal. So I need some help on that. And I want to understand how I can improve myself in that area, right? That's the kid I want as a manager because that kid has a process that can be replicated and be tweaked and tested, right? And that's where I think the the best sales organizations and people that I find these days in sales are are scientists more than artists. Yeah. I think they're looking at the data. They're they're adjusting, they're being agile, they're making, you know, they're testing all the time, you know, whether it's a subject line or asking how they intro a meeting or how they close a meeting. Like they actually are are consciously testing those things on a consistent basis. They're looking, which is why I know you're a fan and I am a fan of gong.io. Love it. You know, I I, I love split testing. I think we both agree on that. I I love what gong is doing because they've taken it away from the anecdotal and put it into the science Mm -hmm. and say, look, and there's been some aha moments, you know, like, you know, like, oh, I never would have thought that. Exactly. Because what we haven't realized is that the stuff they've been teaching in the past, it was probably true before the internet. Maybe as the internet was coming about, maybe it was still true. But now it's a totally different animal. 
I, I always say that sales will be broken up into two eras, before the internet and after the internet. Very clear, clear line of delineation. Very clear. On the technology piece, what are you seeing, John? Now, you mentioned something about this coronavirus. I think we were moving in a 45 degree angle, more technology. Now we just mm -hmm. took a hard right turn oh, yeah. and did that 90, right? And so what are you seeing? I mean, when you look at the SDRs or BDRs mm -hmm. and then compare that to the AEs who are out in the field now, what are you seeing in terms of, just what are you seeing? I, I kind of have some ideas, but I don't want to. Uh, yeah, so, well, here's what I'm seeing and here's where I think things are going to go. I think we're moving back to full cycle sales. I think, I think the uh, predictable revenue model that hit, which was cool, right? It was kind of something new. We hadn't really evolved in sales since predictable revenue came out in whatever, whatever the book is, it is what it is. But it's a structure, right? Like segmentation of roles. Um, and what that did was that gave us as, as organizations an easy way to scale. It was actually extremely beneficial for sales organizations because hire young talent, beat the crap out of them, make them make cold calls. They graduate to AEs and then senior and then enterprise, right? That type of thing. So it was great for us. It's horrible for the customer. It, it's not a good customer experience. You get called by some kid who doesn't know what the f they're talking about to ask some bant crap questions. Then you get flipped over to an AE who's going to cram a demo down your throat and then bring in a couple of engineers who are going to requalify every time they have to come back in. And then maybe, just maybe, you get to talk to a customer success person who still is wondering why the hell you bought what you bought, right? So that whole model, I think, is is is... I actually think is going to break and, I, and I'm watching it break. And so what I think is going to happen is SDRs, as opposed to being that initial job in sales at this point, I think SDRs are going to move more under marketing than ever. They're going to become marketing and, and operations because these kids are great at technology and it's going to be about playing with these technologies and gaining insights, right? And then moving under marketing with an account-based marketing approach that then will set up leads and meetings for full cycle sales reps again. But it's going to be inside, not field. I think the days of the enterprise, the old school enterprise rep that takes their clients out and relationship development and dinners and, you know, golf and all that other stuff. I, I think that's a dinosaur way of looking at it. And don't get me wrong. There's certain industries that are going to stay that mm -hmm. way. There's certain size deals that are always going to be that way. No question about it. But I think the, the, the percentage mm -hmm. of that is going to drop significantly. I love and it. So, I, see, I, see the, I see the visual you're given. It's like if you've got marketing automation on top, Right, you got marketing up here. You got the the um, uh, SDRs, middle yeah. engagement platforms, and then you got the AEs. You can see you're you're seeing the SDRs being sucked up into the marketing piece, which I agree with you. And then it's interesting. You're seeing also the moving up of the AE into the SDR role, so to speak, yeah. inside sales role, and not having to get on a plane and travel. Right. First of all, I think it's a it's a. It, I mean, the stats are undeniable these days. I've saw all sorts of stuff from LinkedIn and coming out that, about how the customer actually enjoys the remote sale process more. They're like. They actually like it more. They're liking it more. You know why? Because it's no longer the bullshit hour-long conversation where I spend the first half hour talking about how you're a fisherman and I like to go fishing too and you know, and all this fluffy rapport building stuff. Now it's like, get to the goddamn point, get in, get out, whatever. And I'm a, as a buyer, I'm like, good, I can control this because I could be like, sorry guys, I got to go, you know, that type of thing. And, I, and you can pull in the people that you want to. So I actually think that this whole remote sales approach is 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 gonna be what the client expects moving forward? Is gonna be what they want moving forward, and so that's why these AEs, right, who are sitting down and used to live up, now they're sitting there kind of panicking in their house because they're like, "Holy shit, I've lost my whole way of what I of how I used to sell." 
And because the SDRs right now are having a hard time getting those qualified meetings with senior level executives, because no senior level executive wants to have a conversation with some 22-year-old kid wet behind the ears is going to ask them banned questions. It just doesn't, right. you know what I mean? There's no value in that. So now AEs are going to have to prospect. And I've never understood the mentality of an AE getting into a position where they relied on SDRs marketing to give them enough meetings to to close. Like I as a as a former VP of sales and as a CEO of my own little company here, if an AE ever came to me and said, John, the reason for like why, you know, when I asked, why'd you miss your quota? And if they said, well, it's because the SDR, I didn't get enough meetings or the marketing didn't, before that phrase even got out of their mouth, they'd be fired. I'd be like, get out of my, get, get out of my office. If you're going to blame somebody else for lack of your success, I don't want you on my team. Yeah, no, I agree. I wanted this, uh, I just got a survey. Uh, somebody afforded me a survey from the International Home Furniture Retail Association, furnitures, mm -hmm. direct yep. reps. And what was interesting, everything you just said about the data, they don't want to meet anymore. You know, you don't have to come in. But then they asked this question, John, would you prefer a virtual face-to-face -face or a phone call? And the majority went with phone call. Yeah. Well, they just call me. Just well, call me. I, I think that's, that's kind of like why procurement doesn't like to talk to us and they like email, right? Because right. there's a relationship there. Like procurement, right. one of the <clears throat> procurement's tricks or techniques or whatever to work to deal with sales reps is they never want to talk to us. Right. We're always on an email so they can nitpick and you know, whatever it is, right? Yep. Whittle and you down. Same reason from a client standpoint that they don't want to see us because mm -hmm. when they see us, now there's rapport. Now there's real empathy. Now there's like, you know, oh shit, this is a person where if it's on a call, I can still kind of treat you as you're just a, some sales rep, cold call, whatever, who gives a shit, right? And and I think the step, you know, you probably know this, the Dr. Albert Munchen, whatever the hell is communication model, where it's broken down the way that people communicate is 835, 57. So 8% right. is the words that we use, 35% is the tonality and how we use right. those words, and 57% is body language. Well, that's what video does. That's 100% right. of empathy. That's 100% of emotion. Whereas phone's only 43%, right? Mm -hmm. 8 plus 35. And then email's really only 8 and so that's why I think, you know, bare minimum, get them on the phone. But if you can do this, and I, you mentioned Gong. Gong just came out with some, like, un, again, undeniable data. I think it's like mm -hmm. the sales process. I think it's like 123% uh, higher conversion ratios, close ratios when you use video throughout the sales process. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So... And you know, it's funny because it takes away the, by the way, the gentleman is Albert Morabian. Because Morabian, thank you. What yeah, I, always, yeah. I always forget and, his name. That's right. It's, uh, the, what, but what's interesting, what you just said is that, you know, it takes away that excuse. Getting back to the AE scenario you pointed out that comes into your office, you know, the SDRs are to blame, is that AEs were using this as an excuse why they weren't closing deals. Right. Well, if I'm not in the room with them, I, you know, I just can't really connect with them. And so that's gone. What do you think of relationship selling? Again, I won't lead you. I'll just ask you the question. Where do you see it play in the sales process and the importance you would assign it? Look, I think relationships are important. I think trust is more important. I agree. I agree. I, uh, one of the things I, and, and again, I, I'd love to, you know, come back at me if you, you disagree, yeah. the, which I don't doubt you will. The, but every time I hear relationship selling, I just, want to, I just want to stick a finger in my mouth and just gag a little bit. Because what clients want today is, dude, can you help me solve a problem I got right now? Right. Can you really help me? Because here's my problem. And then as a result of that, if I like you, you help me solve a problem and I trust you, yep. then dude, let's have a relationship. Value, relationship is value. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think 
if I were to phrase it this way, I think relationships are important, but I think they've drastically shifted because relationships used to be taking me out to golf, dinner, that type of stuff, right? Now it's value. Because look, you and I, Victor, like we could have a long-standing relationship and I could think you're a great guy. But if your competitor is sharing insights with me, getting me to think about stuff, right? Like, and, and, and really challenging my frame of mind and helping me solve problems. Well, event, even, and this is even prospecting, man. I've done this before mm-hmm. where I've had clients who have had good relationships with other sales trainers mm-hmm. and I've just identified them as somebody I think I could really do some good work with and whatever. And so I've just continued to be like, hey man, just want to let you know, like saw this recently, was th- thinking of you. You know, have you, have you had your team do this? Hey, by the way, here's a little video that I came across that I think is like is fire on how to make a cold call or whatever it is. Share that with your team, those type of things. And all of a sudden, that person who had a great relationship over here with that Per, you know, with their long-standing relationship, all of a sudden says, "All right, John, man, like I, I get more value out of you prospecting into me than I do on this relationship because most people get lazy with relationships." Correct. You know what I mean? They get they 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 rely on the relationship, and to me, relationships have changed. It's it's what value can you bring to me? Right. Value first, that, and that's why, like I said, when I hear relationship selling, I'm I, I don't know. What I like about what you just said is that again, it eliminates another excuse because I've always believed that if you're not if you're not the incumbent the one they're buying from today, then position yourself number two and just keep chipping. You'll Mm -hmm. get the business. And I've done it over and over again and you'll get the business. It's tenacity and persistence. But I like the fact that you're you're not just saying, hey, how's it going, Vic? You know, because nobody wants to hear that. People want to know, dude, you got something for me trying to help me here. Mm -hmm. Let's look at this technology piece for a little bit here because I I think it's really fascinating what's happening because I I love your, your, um, your prognostication of, you know, the AEs moving in. Uh, that's interesting because again, a lot of companies are actually making more money, more sales with their salespeople inside. And that's a mind blower. And that's why like, so like CFOs right now are kind of looking at their P&L going, uh, wait a minute. We, we not only survived this mess, but we're actually thriving. And oh, by the way, our expenses are a 10th of what they used to be. And, and, and well, you forget about sales for a second. Let's think about real estate. I mean, that, you know, I, I work with a lot of the tech companies. I'd say about 50% of my clients have implemented a permanent work from home policy. Right. Permanent. They're wow. not going back into the offices. They're never going to ask their team to go back into the offices. They're probably going to have shared workspace where they can have team meetings and those type of things. But this is the new world order here, right? Dude, this commercial building real estate, I'm seeing oh. the signs. They oh. can't fill the office spaces. They Bro, cannot I feel fill bad. I mean, I, I feel bad, but I don't. So, I, I mean, it's the same thing with AEs. You know what I mean? Like, the, mm-hmm. the, there is... There is this, there is this trend of again value, and here in the states, and it's interesting because, you know, I was I, I did a post recently about hey, what's the difference? You know, I've traveled all over the world. I'm sure you have, and trained in all sorts of different locations, and I so I kind of know some of the nuances of what's different. But I kind of said, hey, I'm doing a, a webinar on, you know, the difference in selling between EMEA and you know APAC in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the feedback on the post was, uh, well. America is is very like down to business. Let's get to it, right? And so EMEA and APAC, it's much more like you gotta you do have to kind of earn the trust first before you get sure. to business, right? So in general, so I think here in the states we are getting to we are getting more to get to the fucking point. 
You know, right. and, and I'm, look, I'm from Boston. You're from Chicago. Like, we're, yeah. we're kind of born and bred this way. The rest of the country might not be, you know, the, the South, the Midwest, those type of things, right? And I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, but I'm saying the tolerance for wasting time right now is so minimal. And right. so remote selling and, val- and figuring out how to bring value and, and, and not selling, you know what I mean? Like not yep. like trying to always stuff it down somebody's throat, tell them how good your product is or whatever it is, but, but developing the rapport and the relationships by the value you bring to the conversation and how you get that client to think differently for, about their situation. Yeah, no, I love it. I, you know, I, 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 most of my teeth was cut in Latin America. Mm. Trust me, two, three hour dinners. I got oh, I, I, And you had going, to. I mean, I had to. I remember I, I, t- I told one customer, I said, look, why don't I just buy you and your wife dinner? You name the place, I'll buy dinner, and then I'll show up in the last five or 10 minutes, and, <laughs> and then we'll discuss right? business. He goes, it doesn't work that way, Victor. Well, and I See, think that's, that's what I'm really interested in. I, I actually think we, as a society, U.S., are going to mm-hmm. have an easier transition to this model than AMIA oh, and APAC. Because I because saying. I because it's it's inbred in us. It's like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We're now moving into a virtual world in in the in the real relationship societies. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be. I don't know how they're going to adapt. I really don't. I think that's. that's gonna be a- I, I didn't think about it like that. You're right. That we we're going to be able to make that pivot quickly. Um, you're on LinkedIn a lot, mm-hmm. and you know one of the things about I enjoy about your posts is that. Uh, uh, you're you're quite direct sometimes, you know. There's always a, a snark in there, you know what yeah. I mean? There's always a snark in there. <laughs> and so, you know, when you look at social media like LinkedIn and you see, I mean, you, I'm sure you give more than I do probably, all these stupid messages going, yeah. you know, hey, love, love, the, love what you're doing in the world, you know. <laughs> and yeah. then the pitch. I mean, dude, rant on that for a second. Just for people who are listening to this who do that, tell them why it's probably not a good idea. Well, I mean, I think it's the it's it's the same thing with emails, it's the same thing with cold calls, it's the same thing with anything, right? Nobody gives a shit about you. Like they just don't. For everybody listening to this, realize that no one gives a shit about you or the products that you are selling. They don't. They only care about themselves and their priorities and the challenges that they're faced with. And so I get 200 emails a day. I get, I'm, I got, I don't know, 350,000 people following me on LinkedIn. I get uh, about 200 to 300 in-mails a week. And I, I don't know if you saw this post. I took a vacation for the first time in a while, a couple of weeks ago, or mm-hmm. a couple of months ago. And I took two weeks, right? Two weeks off. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in my professional career, I didn't check emails once. Like not once. Mm-hmm. Didn't, you know, because usually I'll be like late night when my wife's and daughter sleep yeah. and I'll go, oh, let me just check this email. You know? <laughs> this time I was like, nope, totally. So I came back, there was 2,040 emails uh, in my inbox, okay? So I decided to say, hey, let me categorize these, see where I'm spending my time, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, those LinkedIn invitations, uh, list service that I've been on and all that, and then sales, right? And of the 2,040 emails that I got, 78 of them are what I would consider sales emails, okay? Zero of them were personalized. Zero. Uh, in-mails, 356 in-mails that I got, right? In that time period, um, seven of them were personalized and only one of them used video, like video, so, you mm-hmm. know, video uh, through LinkedIn, Guess which one was the one I responded to? Video. 
Purdue. And, and I get 200 requests a day, right? Or, or a mm-hmm. week. To, so, and what I do is I don't have the time to read your, your you know, even if you personalize your LinkedIn, right. I actually almost prefer you don't because I, I don't right. want to read it, right? I think I only gave you two lines, by the way. I think I only yeah, gave you two right? lines. So, I know you. And usually what I'll do is I'll just accept all, but then the absolute, the ones that I disconnect with are mm-hmm. the ones that as soon as I hit accept, there's the immediate in-mail with the, hey, John, here's all the crap that we do. And I think you'd be a great fit for our services, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I immediately go in, I unfollow, I unconnect, and I delete that person from my network. Those are the only ones I do it. It's yeah. because I, nobody cares about your pitch. Okay. I don't, I don't mind being connected with, I actually don't mind you sending me an in-mail or an email or a voicemail or a video or any of that stuff, but take the two fucking seconds to go on and read a post of mine, see what I'm doing on my website. I mean, I am so loud out there. Like, I mean, you've seen me on LinkedIn. I am not shy. I tell people about what I'm doing on my Instagram. I give you all the dirty about what's going on in my life, right? Where I'm, make, where I'm making investments, what I think I need. Like all you got to do is listen to one blog post or, or one mm-hmm. podcast or one blog of mine and you could pick something and say, hey, John, mm-hmm. I, I was actually listening to your recent uh, podcast with Victor, man. And when, when you talked about this, I thought it was super interesting. The reason I wanted Those to talk Those are the ones to you, I like as well. Right? Yeah. One, like, one, of, one of the things, you know, it's funny because I started like... I didn't know if you knew who I was, but I, I definitely knew who you were. Yep. Uh, and it was funny because I, I would comment here and there. And then some, sometimes when I see some of your snark stuff, I just had to like, because I just freaking do snarky, man. I, just, like, I would just laugh, right? Because yep. some of the things I want to say, and when you would say, I'd say, yeah, thank you. Proxy, you know, you're my proxy out there, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, and I think I sent you a book, which you, and I love what you respond. Dude, I'm not even going to probably read it, but if you want to send it, here's my address. I said, I like this guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I go, I, but but in my mind, I go, you know, I'm going to connect with this guy eventually. I don't know when. Yep. And, and I, I I do that to say, not that I did that as a um, a trick of any kind. No. Is that I genuinely said, I like this guy. I want to follow him. And then when I was ready to do this, I said, I got you That's in my sights now. I'm ready. I'm ready for you. And you said, connect with uh, your, your uh, yep. assistant. Yep. I said, and I, I think I responded like, dude, I'm coming. I'm just yep. letting you know, you're not my and show. I, and I'm like, yeah. And because of how you had done that, I actually, usually what I'll do, because I get, you know, 50 requests a week, right? I'm sure. I'm sure. But, and, so, and usually it's a templated, go talk to my team. This one, because mm-hmm. I had seen and because of the book and those type of things, I forwarded, I, I said, yes, go do that. But then I forwarded it to my team and I said, hey, this is one I, I'll, I'll, I'll go on. You know what okay. I mean? This is one I will say yes to, right? Versus my team evaluates and they look at the audience and all that other stuff. They look yeah. at kind of some objective stuff. There's ones that I choose to say, no, no, no. Regardless of what this looks like, I want to be on this one. So that, yeah. so I, because of that, and that's the same thing with prospecting, right? Totally like yeah. it goes back to the give a shit factor of if I want to, if, if you fit that real profile of somebody that I think I can make a difference for, right? Then I'm going to learn about you. I'm going to I'm going to follow you, I'm going to like, I'm going to comment, I'm going to share, I'm going to make a, you know, whatever, and I'm going to, you know, kind of Gary Vee's book, jab 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 right hook, right? right? Like I'm going to jab a little bit here and warm you up a little bit and then when the time's right, to your point the sniper, now yeah. I'm going to ask. And because right. I've set the stage for that enough, the likelihood of the yes is mm-hmm. so much higher. And if you treat clients like that, yeah, your activity level is not going to be that high. Okay. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the quality of what you bring in is going to be so much greater. And the there conversations is. are going to be so much more interesting. 
right? And that's where I think going back to like, why are, you know, what's the danger here? It's that give a shit factor, man. The people who don't give a shit and are just Mm -hmm. trying to hit you as a number, they're going to get monetized and replaced. I think the, I, I, was it Gary Vee who said that the, that, that the new coin of the realm, he said it's something like patience. Yeah, yeah, and patience like, is the new, yeah. Well, right, he, said, like, so, what he, goes, he be, said something. He said, be quick, but patient, right? Be quick yeah. by like going, but be patient with your career. Right. Because you're not going to be an oversex, over the Oh, no, no, on this one he was talking about, uh, I didn't hear that one, but on, on right. outreach, he says, oh. be patient in your nurturing. Oh, yeah. As you're reaching out. Yep. You know, it's not it's not the quick sex. Let's do a lot of foreplay here. Let's go yeah. back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're saying. Well, it, it goes back to like where I think going back to science and that I think sales needs to take a page from marketing, right? Marketing is is all about an impression world. Like they see you, they hear you. They, and what, mm-hmm. what marketing is trying to do is subconsciously or consciously get you mm-hmm. into a point where you have a favorable impression of their brand, right? right? I mean, that's the whole goal of marketing yeah. at the end of the day, right? So that when I think of Victor... I think quality, I think, you know what I mean? Like you have a persona that I think, right, from a marketing standpoint. Now, as sales reps, I think we need to do the same thing. I think we need to start taking our own personal brands into, into the equation. I think we have to be nurturing to the point where they, that's why it's important to go on somebody's and, and not just like, but comment on their post, retweet right. something. And, and look, they may not consciously notice your name or your face mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but you do that enough times and there's enough positive impressions in there, mm-hmm. you can then come back and cash out right? Eventually, when the time's right. And I think we need to start taking on more of that. Well, let, let, me, let me pitch your program and your website because jbarrels.com, correct? Yep. jbarrels.com. And so one of your guys reached out to me and I can't remember his name right now. Uh, James uh, or Morgan? James Buckley. Yeah, James Buckley. Yeah. James Buckley reached James, out. Say what said, sales Buckley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Say what sales. So I go, who is this guy? I, go, I, yeah. I, I saw, I go, and he pitched the whole thing. He said, look, Victor. And he set it up like people never looked at branding themselves, mm-hmm. salespeople never look at themselves, direct salesperson never looked at themselves in brand. I go, I guess I've never really thought about it. Yeah. And so I sent him an email back. I said, because he put a video on there yeah. and he's such a like, he seems like such a lovable guy. Oh, I don't totally even know right. the guy. He's, yeah. ball of, ball so, of, he's like just a ball of, he's like a huge teddy bear would just, yeah. you know. And so I was like, I kind of like this guy. And then yeah. I, and I sent him back. I said, well, send me an outline because I don't really know him. Yep. And he yep. responded with an outline. So, so your boy did his job, man. You trained him well. He yeah, did his so. job. He, yeah. he was on point. Talk to me about, and I, and I know we're another five or 10 minutes we're short on time. I want to be respectful. Yep. No, that's right. Talk, talk to me about ABM, ABM, man. You know, yep. account-based marketing and how, you know, I read that book, B2B is ABM. And I just thought it was an interesting paradigm. But, you know, mm-hmm. what's your take on ABM? I think it's I think it's marketing's realization that they got a little out of control. You know what I mean? I, I think... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I love when people call it to like the, you know, the acronyms, like, give me a break. Everybody's got to come up with that. Like, just because you come up with a new acronym doesn't mean it's new, right? When I figured, I don't mean to interrupt, but when I, you know, read the book, I go, wait a minute, this is this has been around. It just has a new name. Forever. <laughs> it really has. It, it, and so I think what happened was marketing, whatever, 10 years ago, all these marketing automation tools came out and marketing, like content marketing hit. And it was like, ooh, and you know they just like just went batshit crazy with content marketing, and it was a volume game all over the place, and spam the crap out of everybody. Right. Inbound lead flow, landing page to here to here to here to here. Right? I think I think ABM is just a realization of oops, we might have gone a little too far with this volume play here. Yeah. Like maybe just maybe we should go back to actually giving a shit about 
the customer, right? Yeah. And, and being Focusing relevant it. to them. Yeah. And so look, ABM is not for everybody, obviously. If you're in the SMB space selling something that's under a 10,000 ACV, like it's, mm. ABM is not even something you should consider. But as you move upstream to mid-market and enterprise, ABM right. is, the, is the way you have to go. Because, yeah. it, because we are all stuck, we are all in this, uh, you know, B2C world of Amazon, right? Where we expect mm. the buying experience to be frictionless. We expect when we log into Amazon that they're going to make recommendations for us that make sense, right? That are personalized to me. You know what I mean? I mean, that, like, that's what all these things are. Like you sign up for an app and to a hotel or whatever it is and you go to your hotel or you used to and the, the exact type of pillows that you like are in your room. Right. You know what I mean? That it's set to a certain temperature. Like you even now have it with Uber and Lyft. Like you can say, I want it to be 72 degrees. I want it to be, and it's, and it's saved that for you, right? That type of thing. So that's the experience we have as consumers, right? In the B2C space. That's what people are expecting in the B2B space. Right, so so that's what ABM is really trying to address. It's still, I don't, I think most companies still don't really get it and really do it the right way because I think we're being forced. You know, we're in such a short-term focused society where I gotta hit the end of the month. You know what I mean? Like, oh, if I miss my number by well, one point, my stock drops by seventy-five percent. You know what I mean? So. That's my fear right now. I mean, I think, and, and you know, I don't want to get politics, but back in two elections ago, uh, one of the one of the candidates um, said that they had they had interviewed fifty uh, CEOs of fifty of the largest um, organizations in the world, right? And they were asked this one simple question: If you could make a decision today that um, that benefited your company, the environment, your people, your employees five years out, and you knew it would. Like you, you could look five years out and say, my decision today, five years out, is going to make a huge difference across the board, right? But it was going to cost you one penny off of your stock price today. Would you do it? 50 out of 50 of them said no. Interesting. Because wow. they said, if I made that decision and it had that impact on the stock price, I wouldn't make five years. I wouldn't get to be there for five years. Right. It's the way so, they're incentivized. So we are in this, go, this VC. I mean, I, I don't know how, where you play from a client standpoint, but most of my clients are VC-backed tech startup companies. Mm. And the, the, the pressure on them to grow is so insane that mm. you don't, you just, you know, the, the, you skip steps. And it's a volume over, it's a quality, it's a quantity over quality. And it's just frustrating to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, by the way, it's interesting. Uh, and we'll tangent off of this one. Mm-hmm. And then we'll close it out. Yeah. The One of the things I have a pet peeve with, and I want to know where you sit on this one is, is I don't think we pay enough attention to incentive programs when we, when we onboard people, when we bring people on board to guide their behavior. You know, what are your thoughts on that? I'll just leave it as general as that. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I, I've never been a detailed comp guy. I just comp based on what, like, what I want the reps to yeah. do, what I want them to sell. I mean, I, I inherently knew when I was 25 years old, when I was a first VP, that you know, we were, I was selling outsourced IT services, and we had projects and we had recurring revenue, right? Mm-hmm. And I looked at projects, and I'm like, they take a ton of resources. They're not as profitable, and they don't really lead to much. Where this is value, right? This is valuation. This is margin. This is that. So I used to pay my reps like almost nothing, even if they brought in like a hundred thousand dollar IT project. Project, right? With all sorts of stuff, I'd pay them like one or 2% at best, right? Whereas if they brought in a $5,000 a month account, which is what I wanted, I would pay them 20% on that, right? Because I was trying to incentivize them of what was good for the business. And, and I think that's the, that's the yeah. rub right there is what yeah. is good for the business that's and right. how do you align your comp plan to make sure that you are driving that? Now, unfortunately, 
because of how the funding goes and all that other stuff, sometimes what's important to the business is volume. You know what I mean? So it's like, whatever, let's churn and burn. Let's, let's, let's just get as much exposure as we possibly can here in a short period of time and eventually we'll become profitable. So I think that's why you don't see comp plans structured in the quality of like what the reps should be doing because it's what the company needs them to do in that period of time or whatever it is. But right. I think comp plans should be changed yearly at least. You know what I mean? They should always be looked at and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, we, we're, we're shifting right now. We need to restructure this and make it fair, obviously, on both sides. But, you know, I, I always joke, like when, when somebody, you, you always see the B or the C rep complain about the A rep and how they do half as much work and make twice as much money, right? Type of thing. And how they're manipulating the comp plan. I'm like, you dipshit. Do you realize that the reason there's a hole in that comp plan is because the company wanted there to be that hole in the comp plan because that's the thing they want you to sell and that's a rep inherently knows then okay if I'm going to get paid 3x more to sell that and I only you know what I mean then why not just sell that right and you got to be careful hey by the way John what was your first sales moment when you knew you wanted to be in sales man we'll end with that one man you know, I I evolved into it like everybody else. I mean, I think I was I think I was always kind of like in the mode of like, my mom always said that I was like for one reason I, I was always money motivated. Like I always wanted to make money so I could afford the stuff that I wanted see, to buy. This is why I know I like you, man. You see but, the way money comes out of your mouth like that. You just say I want to make money. Some people just hesitate with that. Well, no, I want to make money. money. Look, like look, if anybody gets into sales because that's their only driver, then then you're a douchebag sales rep. Yeah. You, you get into the world of the Grant Cardones and stuff, who I think are just dirt. Um, but if you but if you're not like success is is everybody everybody has their own definition of success right mm -hmm. and i always say money doesn't solve you know money doesn't buy happiness but it also but it gets rid of unhappiness and for right. me i wanted the flexibility of making my own choices even at a young age and so i was always kind of figuring out how to take you know i remember the first thing i sold was uh now that we're halloween area you know it was like these mini pumpkins you know how when you go in now and you can see the the mini pumpkins with the faces on them people paint right. little faces on them you can buy them in the mm -hmm. store as well what i used to do is i was an artist when i was a kid um, that was my first major in college, actually. I could see it, man. I could see it. I could see it. I could see it. So what I, what I would do is I would go buy these pumpkins for like a dollar. I would come home and I would paint these funny faces on them and I would bring them to school. I was selling them for five bucks, right? And it was so I could I could buy my Atari, you know, and those type of things back in the show in my age here. Um, but I think really where it hit me about what why I was good in sales and why I really wanted to make a career out of this was when I got fired from Staples, actually. When my my little Thrive Networks company got bought by Staples, um, you know, I was I was going through that integration and and I would just wasn't the right fit. You know, I kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Um, but they ended up offering me another position, i.e. firing me. And I and I sat and I and I kind of had this panic attack of like, okay, shit. I'm like, what what am what am I? Like, what am I supposed to do next? Because for, for seven years, I was an IT sales guy. I was selling IT services and I had my head down. I hadn't thought of a single thing otherwise, right? And so now I'm like, oh my God, I, what do I do? And I, and I literally, I was like, am I an IT sales guy? Is that what I am? I'm like, I don't even like computers. Like, I really don't. Like, I just, I like how, I like the, the productivity they allow me, but I could give a shit what a server does. I could give a shit what a firewall does, right? So my wife was actually the one who helped me figure this out. She said, well, let's look back at your career and figure out why were you the best rep in each one of those, you know, companies, right? And so DeWalt. 
She's like, why were you the top rep in DeWalt, at least in the region? I was like, well, I don't know. Like DeWalt power tools are pretty badass. Like they're cool. So it wasn't hard for me to sell DeWalt power tools, right? Because I genuinely believed in them, right? And then it was Xerox, right? And I was like, I didn't care about copiers, but why was I the best rep at Xerox in the region? Well, because at the time, I genuinely believed that Xerox was the best profession in the world. I'm sorry, best uh, best copier in the world, right? So it was easy for me to represent that. Thrive, my company, it's not that I cared about computers. I cared, I believed that my people that we were representing were going to do the right thing for the client, right? And so when I started to understand that it didn't, that it dawned on me that it didn't matter what I sold. It mattered that I believed in what I sold. There you go. And that, to me, I think sales, you know, to finish up here is I, I genuinely believe that sales is the transfer of enthusiasm. You know, if you, I believe that strongly in what I do, that if you fit that profile in any way, shape or form, my job is to transfer a little bit of that enthusiasm over to you. And I beg anybody out there right now who's listening to this, if you do not believe in what you're selling, I'm begging you to go find another job. Go find something else to do. Either go find something else to sell that you can believe in or go find another job in another industry. Because if you are out there selling something you don't believe, you are the douchebag sales rep that gives us the bad name. Of like when people say, oh, you're in sales and they roll their mm -hmm. eyes, it's because of those people that only, the Glengarry Glen Ross, Wolf of Wall Street, Boiler Room people mm -hmm. who only care about making commissions and who only care about themselves and could give a shit about helping the client in any way, shape or form. And with that, like that, I think that was probably my aha is when when it, when it when I felt that I made a difference. You know what I mean? When I came yeah. back to that client, and they said, "Thank you, John, for introducing me to whatever this service was, and mm -hmm. look at what it has done for my life, my career, my whatever it is." Like that's where I got hooked on this, dude. That's the epitome of sales. I tell people, you you don't have to love what you sell, but you should love what it does for your customer. You got to believe it. You don't necessarily, you don't have to love it. You have to believe yeah. that for the right client, it makes mm -hmm. a real difference. It helps them. That's what I mean. It just yep. helps them grow. And once you believe that it helps them grow, it's like you can sell that naturally. Yep. That right. note, Senor Barrows, where can they find more information on you, man? Give it up. I yeah, appreciate it, Victor. Uh, so yeah, jbarrows.com. Um, uh, you can go there. We have our new on-demand platform that we just launched. If you go to uh, for individuals, it's four twenty a year. You get everything that we give to you know train Salesforce and all those companies. You get it all for that. Um, yeah, and then just LinkedIn. Those uh, you know, obviously, I actually do a ton of free consulting on Instagram. So if anybody's got an Instagram handle, it's John M as Michael Barrows. That handle. If you want some free consulting, him. Hit me up on that because I'm always uh, responding to people there, and yeah, and and LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active with uh, you know the tips and ideas and stuff like that. I, I, I'm going to encourage you to follow him because you will not be bored, and you <laughs> yeah. will learn something. I think that's a beautiful combination. John Barrels, thank you very much. Victor Antonio with Sales Influence signing off, man. Thank you guys. And we're done, man. Thank you, brother, man. That was cool, yeah. man. Three <laughs> minutes to spare, man. So we're good. Yeah, yeah, so perfect. I'm glad we finally had the conversation, man. I, you know, it's. We think alike in so many ways. I, you know, I see the, uh, I'm a little older. I'm 57, man. So oh, I'm just wow. trying to maintain. Yeah. I'm trying to maintain. Good for you. Uh, but I came from the old school selling. And, you know, I've, I've been shedding that skin. I'll just say every year more and more I shed the skin because I see where it's all going, which is why I wrote the AI book. Yep. The second one's really going to be more, you know, where the platforms are going, the engagements and the enablement platforms. And I thought your perspective on the, the SDRs being sucked up into marketing was an interesting way of viewing that funnel yeah. visual. So I appreciate that insight, man. So yeah, no, I mean, it's, well, I'm just watching it, right? I mean, you're seeing you're seeing these kids just go through like, and and they're more analytical than we ever were, right? Because right. because they grew up with this and this and, and this. 
They seem yeah. more patient. And they're, yeah. you know, because if you look at some of these platforms, especially the marketing automation platforms, this is not just something, hey, spend 24 hours, you should get this down. No. no. I mean, it's just, it's a beast. Yeah. Um, if I were to fast forward this 20 years from now, what you're going to see is AI develop all the cadences, the playbooks and everything and do all that stuff, man. Well, so there's a, like I actually said when I talked about death of the average sales rep, uh, I actually, so there's this email approach that when I joined Basho, which was the original training company, uh, it was called the I've YUI. Heard them. Is that the one with the sumo wrestler? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they, they went out of business and they went on into developing cloud computing software and all that other okay. stuff. So, um, but the, the Jeff Hoffman, the guy who is my mentor and I resell through, you know, the email approach was called the YUI, you now email, right? Which is, and back then it was, you know, it was the shit. Like it was about research. You go on somebody, you find a trigger. Hey, I saw you open up a new mm. office, da, 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 da. And what happened was, you know, I've been training on, I was training on that for years because it was, it worked. You know, you get a 20, 30% response. I got emails back from Mark Benioff, from Mark Hurd, like ridiculous, right? Okay. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, sales loft cadence, outreach, those type mm. of things started flooding the market. And then about 2017, some kid hit me up and he said, hey, John, we created this artificial intelligence bot that creates super highly personalized emails at a fraction of the time. And it's based off of your email. We want to show it to you. And I was like, whatever, right? And they sent mm. it to, they, I said, send me a sample. This was, it was better. It was a better email than I could have written. Like I was just like, what? And this is 2017. Fuck yes. But the problem was we actually put them out of business because we we did the bake off. Like we did, uh, we had another company doing on uh, outsourced lead gen for underservice markets like lighting and facilities and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we were doing persona driven messaging, right? So scale, mm -hmm. like not personalized at all, but relevant, right? And I've come to the conclusion that everybody talks about personalization, personalization, personalization. Uh-uh. Personalization and relevance. It's got to gotcha. be both, right? It can't be one of the... And if you, and by the way, if you made me choose between personalization and relevance, it would be relevance all day long. Because wait, if wait, I get... Can you add a third component to that? Personal relevance and temporal, the timing piece. Oh, timing. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, I think, that you can kind of layer that under the personalization because it is yeah. that timely, hey, that thing happened, you know, if you, yeah. if you look at it right. But you know, what happened was we ran two cadences to the same marketplace and they used their personalization tool and we just did our, and they thought it was going to be like a 15% response rate and ours was going to be a five. It was like a five and a 6% response rate difference because you know what AI can't do right now is AI can find the personalized piece, mm -hmm. but it can't make the connection to the relevance because in order to do that, what I need to do is I need to take my entire catalog of services and I need to create messaging around the value that those things are and, and as it associates with whatever that thing is. No, you can't. It just takes so much heavy lifting, nobody will do it. Because that's, well, that, that's what I mean. You can't. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's, what, it's what expert systems used to do. They're all rule-based. Yeah. That's what you have to yeah. do. There's no machine learning. Right. And you just have, so you have to create this whole database of messaging and that is associated with all those different things that AI can go find and mm -hmm. then unleash AI to go find those things and grab whatever the relevant messages that's associated with it and then right. do a little bit of machine learning AI, you know, mm -hmm. human, you know, whatever. Um, that's when it's going to, that's when it'll replace sales reps. But we're not, I don't think we're there yet because that company went out of business. I'm seeing other companies like kind of struggle with it because all the, all I get now is from AI and I can tell. It's, uh, hey, John, um, I see you went to University of Maryland. Go Terps. And then it hard cuts to some piece of shit value yeah. proposition that has nothing to do with something that I'd be interested in. Yeah, right? So it's like, I've seen those, yeah. 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 It'll be interesting to see, you know, you know, five, 10 years from now, we're going to look back. And I think we're going through a kind of a dot com situation here mm -hmm. where a lot of these companies are going to go away. 
body's yeah. coming your way. Brother, you're a busy man. I'm out of here. Yeah, Thank uh, you. just uh, let me know when this goes out. I'll send it to my team and we'll blast it out there. Thank you again, man. All Appreciate right, your time, man. Take Have care, brother. Bye.